welcome back to Music is the Drug, the Cowboy Junkies podcast. I'm Dave Bowler and I write the biography of Cowboy Junkies, Music is the Drug. We've chosen a song from At the End of Paths Taken to investigate today. My Little Basquiat was written by Michael Timmins and Alan Anton and they're both going to see us through the song from its conception to its place on the record. Interestingly, they've got very different memories of how it was written. Alan first. Yeah, that was kind of a weird one because uh, you know, it's got it ended up being a, a really kind of a heavy groove song, and it started out not like that at all. And it was, you know, the lyrically a little challenging to find it find a groove for as well. I think I think that one was just a lucky thing where we just started jamming, and Pete and I clicked in on this on this groove. You know, often a start a song will start with them. Um, you know, Mike's just got it on acoustic guitar and a lyrical melody, but lyric with um, with some sort of melody, vocal melody going on. And um, we'll have to try to take it somewhere and, and scratch our heads and see where it goes. And I think that one is just lucky. Like we really just found this groove and said, hey, maybe this groove will work for the song. And it's more, more, more adopting something to the song rather than growing it out from the song, which which is another way to approach it, you know? So yeah, we just started, I think we just attached that, that groove to it and, and then made the sections happen. And yeah, we just, we, we built it. I think, it, you know, it was, it was a slow build kind of thing, you know, with some building blocks. I don't remember it being conceptually um, challenging in the sense of, you know, often, often we'll try to find the, the music to go with, what Mike's got lyrically and, and chord wise. And, you know, we can sit around a long time and like I say, scratch our heads and figure out where, where this might go. But this one was, I think we just sat down and started playing that groove and said, oh, let's see if this works. And then it did. Yeah. I mean, I think Al, I, I can't remember the details, but from listening to it, I figured you know, what happened is Al probably brought in that baseline, right? And it, the baseline is the song. Um, musically, it's it's sort of what carries the whole thing, and it's such a great line. And I just, I think I, he might have had, you know, he might have had a, he probably gave me a recording of his bass and maybe like a rhythm box or something. And I think I just wrote the whole. I don't think I touched a guitar. I, I just wrote the lyric and and uh, to his bass line without even trying to figure out a, a place for the guitar, which is why there, I don't think there was any guitar in it until the solo, which is kind of cool. So. Yeah, from that point of view, that was it was a fun song to do, and you know, and 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 still in our it's still in our our live set, it's still really fun to do. It's very different, but it's uh, it's uh, still got that bass line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're playing it a lot lately as well too. The last couple of years, it's um, it's a good one live because it's a peppy, groovy number, and uh, offsets all the slow death grooves that we do. So it's a nice one to have um, have live for sure. However, it was written. When the time came to put it onto the record, that was a whole other process that threatened to get away from the band for quite a while. We had a real tough time getting it. Like, you know, the, the writing of it was fine and we did a recording of it and, uh, you know, we included some stuff and then I think I got fed up or frustrated and I sent it off to Joby who was who was doing some keyboards for us at the time and, and also doing uh, a lot of the mixing on this record. So it was at the end, near the end of it and uh, the end of the, pro- the recording process and sort of sent it to him and he, I remember he, he got in like this, huge rhythm section like you know percussion latin percussion players put something down on it and it's like, ah, it still didn't work and 
And I think, I think even Margo was having a tough time finding a, a way into it, like a proper approach to it. And then I think at one point Margo said, here, let me just try something different. And she pulled the vocal way back rather than trying to make it aggressive. And then at the same, and then Joby again came along and said, okay, let, let me try this. And he pulled out all his, most of the, most of the percussion. There's still a little bit of conga in there. And then he put that really cool vibey keyboard on there and it just fell into place. And it just, it just, it was like, oh my God, it's perfect. It, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a classic example of not knowing where a song should go. And finally everybody sort of finding a little place for it to go and it, it falling into place. One day they'll be older, maybe bolder, perhaps than me. One day they'll be rising, maybe living, perhaps in peace. It's got um, a kind of a, a claustrophobic feel to it in part. It, it always makes me think of, um, you know, things like the Crest File, the, the soundtrack for stuff like that, those 60s spy films. It's definitely got that sort of texture to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. We weren't going for that, but that's accidentally where, where it happened for sure. I think that, a lot, that record has a lot of claustrophobic sounding stuff on it, I think. I'd have to go through the titles, but I'm pretty sure that was... You know, it had a feeling of uh, of closing in all the stuff. It wasn't a very um, it wasn't a very happy record. <laughs> I don't think it's got a real sense of um, parental foreboding to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, <laughs> there is that, and of course, here, here, here I go again. You know, I got three three healthy kids, and I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm, I'm worried as opposed to enjoying it. And obviously, there's a lot of enjoyment in the song too, but. Yeah, it, it comes down to they have to then eventually I see it. And I think everybody does with their kids that, you know, you've got to let them go into the world and you prepare them as best you can. And then you send them off. But, you know, that's it's easier said than done. And um, so I knew, you know, one day that that was coming, you know, it's, it's, it's right there. One day they'll be older, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so there is, you know, as a, as a parent of younger kids, that's always in the back of your mind. It's like. God, I don't want to. I don't want to expose these kids to the to the real world. You know, which I could protect them my entire life, which is obviously extremely unhealthy. But um, uh, yeah, it's there. The, that foreboding is there for sure. That foreboding, that sense of helplessness, and that barely suppressed rage is all there in Mike's guitar solo. Yeah, that's one of my favorite recorded guitar solos. I have it on the new record, which we'll talk about in future podcasts. Uh, I've got a, I, I got a solo on that record too, which we'll talk about. Which I, which I, I, I put up with this one, um, but this one I love because it's just so nasty and comes out of nowhere and and expresses all the frustration and and worry and uh, you know and fear that that a, that a pat parent has for their their kids. He likes to do those. Those are from uh, early days with um, with Germinal when it was just an instrumental. Uh, sit around and you know get yeah yeah that kind of thing. 
and a lot of it was uh, derived from jazz influences. So I think I've said before that Mike likes to pretend he's, um, you know, John Coltrane or someone else on the guitar, <laughs> and uh, and play kind of like that, like very very non-guitar playing solos in a way, you know, which is kind of his style, anyways. I think that's where it comes from. It's, it's a lot of jazz stuff. Each each of the verses is for 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 one of your your children. I mean, how do they um how do they view that now, and and how did they view it then? Is it oh, dad, no, not again. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird like i have very little relationship with my children as a musician right <laughs> like as a as a songwriter so and in many ways i sort of kept that on purpose um you know i i'm dad i'm not i'm not i'm not the guitar player of the song for cowboy junkies so you know i i i hope i and, and you know, obviously as they're old they're all older now you know they're between either between 19 and 25 years old i guess so, you know, they're now, you know, in the last few years, they've begun to sort of understand what I do and who I am. And, but I don't think they've really, really explored the catalog, you know? And, and I, I, I mean, my, my hope is that at least one of them does one day, and, you know, because it's all there. <laughs> As I've said in the past, that's, that's, that's my, my and Patty, my wife, Patty's life right there together. And, and them, and they're, they're all in there as well. These, they come in and out of it. But uh, yeah, this song is really, I mean, you know, when you think about this as, written 2006 ish so you know i had three kids at that point all very young all under the age of 10 and uh you know it was quite quite a quite a uh quite a scene and trying to survive as a musician and being on tour and patty trying to survive as a mom with no you know single mom basically so yeah this song is really about their personalities and the first one is about my son joe the second one's about my old eldest daughter shoe and the third one's about my youngest daughter min and, you know, the funny thing is I sort of listened to the other day and they, they're kind of still the same personalities, you know, they're very, they're very much, it's sort of still kind of really, really, um, hold, holds, you know, like Joe is still very, uh, Basquiatish in that he's you know, very volatile, you know, he's, lots of creativity bursting out of him. Shu is still like this tough as nails street fighter and, um, which who holds who holds too much in and you know is probably not that inside but refuses to allow it out and then my youngest man is 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 this sort of little guru you know she's like she's become this extremely empathetic uh, empathetic um thoughtful uh you know and sees things that nobody else sees you know kind of kind of kind of cuts to the quick so it's interesting you know it's they uh, a lot of people say this that you are who you are when you're born and then you're the, your, the 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 nurturing is either to you know make that more 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 refined I guess or or try or try and cover up the the, the worst parts of it but you kind of are who you are and you know and, and especially in terms of biological and adopted kids too it's very interesting you know so anyways that it's a, it's a it's a cool song from that point of view because when I look about look at it like I remember them as kids when I listen to it I remember them as kids in, in that period the mention of uh, the gymnastics and, and common age. That was the, uh, the Montreal Olympics, wasn't it, Nadia, common age? You, you weren't in Montreal by then, where you'd, you'd move. My big girl swinging from above My little common age Fist of stone flying above the yard My little common age Halfway up, it's halfway down Uh, 76. Yeah, I think we just moved. 
but I remember, I remember her, I remember, I remember those Olympics and, you know, all those, you know, those, those Russian gymnasts. Those, and, uh, so yeah, yeah. So I don't know how, I don't know how she got in there. I don't know why I didn't use Olga Corbett, maybe common each worked better or something. I don't know, but, uh, it was a very, if, from my, from my young life, it was a, definitely a, a real image. I think she had the first perfect 10, you know? Yeah. So I, there's, she was very, she was a very, um, uh, big it's a very big deal here in canada for sure even though she wasn't Canadian, but she was here in canada so it's kind of cool that was a big uh that was a big thrill to have the olympics we were just you know teenagers and all this exciting stuff was going on and uh got to see it up close a lot of stuff would actually go past your house pretty much down the down the street there'd be you know runners and all kinds of weird stuff going on so it's like the world came to to your town it's kind of neat so yeah we got we got really into watching all that stuff at the time. Yeah, it was fun. And so, yeah, that, that, uh, that reference is definitely from that, from that time. I don't know how many people still remember her when they're listening to, to her song, but. She was the first 10 out of 10, wasn't she? Yeah, yes, she was incredible. I guess Mike and I have got different Olympic memories too, which is pretty much where we came in with this episode and where we're finishing it. We'll be back next week. But as Christmas comes galloping over the horizon, here's a reminder that you can get the band's 2022 releases, Sharon and Songs of the Recollection, from cowboyjunkies.com. The authorised biography, Music is the Drug, is available from the band too. The Junkies are on the road with tour dates coming up in Europe, Australia and New Zealand, plus a special New Year's Eve show in Saratoga. Keep checking the website for news of those shows. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, like it, share it, add reviews, and tell everybody about it on social media. Really grateful for all of your support. If you're a Spotify user, you can follow our growing podcast playlist, and all the details of that and everything else is in the show notes. We'll see you next week.